We're back. We're back. It's the distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? Doing good, man. Feeling normal. Doing normal New York City things. That's right. You are. You're back to normal. You can like go to, you can go to Times Square and eat at. You can go to the M&M store again. What a day for you. <laughs> yeah, I had been missing all the different off-brand Spider-Man guys that hang out outside our <laughs> old office. I actually had a moment this weekend. Uh, it was, you know, mostly it was nice to be out there. There's one block in our neighborhood that always kind of smells a little bit like pee pee. And it was the first time that uh, I had actually put the mask on, like, by choice. Like, we had it around <laughs> our neck. We went into a store. But we were walking. Like, my wife and I were both kind of like, we could just, for half a block, smell, like, 30% less of this, right? The smell of urine in New York? Yeah, in I summertime? Know. Yeah. Really? That's how, that's how I knew we were coming out of it. Nature was healing. I think it just, like, spontaneously generates on this particular block, but... By the anyway, way, that's soothing... we don't need to keep talking about pee the whole time. Yeah, that's... yeah, we, we can't talk about you anymore, yeah, fuck you, Roth. We have to talk about that soothing baritone, baritone laughter you hear in the background. Uh, it's NBA legend Chris Bosh. Uh, oh, Chris wow. Bosh is joining us on the on the podcast. Hello, Chris. What's happening, guys? Hey, what's up? Uh, Chris's new book, uh, Letters to a Young Athlete, is available right now wherever books are sold. And we're gonna ask you some shit uh, about what's in the book. Does that sound good, Chris? That's man. That's, that's fair. That's cool. Uh, first of all, Chris, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. You know, the summer's here. Kids are out of out of virtual school, so they are still in their rooms, waking up and coming downstairs for breakfast. Man, we're we're right there in the wheelhouse, man. We're 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 good to go. I had the same thing as you. My kids ended virtual school uh, today. Well, actually, yesterday. Uh, it's not worth splitting hairs about. But anyway, because they've been in e-school now for like 15 months. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's the last day of school. You guys are so excited. And they're like, whatever. Like, Because the last day of school just meant they stopped looking at one screen and could like watch what they wanted on right. a different screen. Like that was like their new. That's pretty much been the challenge, right? <laughs> so it's like, I was like, wow, school's out. Like trying to play the Alice Cooper song for them and shit. And they were like, whatever. We don't. Yeah. I mean, they, know, they, yeah they're over it. Getting cheated out of like, like that's one of the the few like universally enjoyed good feelings that humanity has is like that last day of school and leaving the idea that oh, that's yeah. just like closing a tab is a drag now that should yeah be that is they don't you don't get the thing like i'm out of here i'm never coming back right right there's like oh. a, like yeah the energy of it is like you can't get it on a computer yeah, yeah someone, no, we're, we're getting there we're coming back we're getting there someone uh someone asked on twitter last night is there uh oh it's rohan rohan not who interviewed you in a podcast, I think yesterday, yeah, Chris, like twelve he, hours uh, ago. Yeah, yeah. So he uh, he was like, "Is there any adult equivalent to the last day of school?" And my answer was uh, getting out of a hospital, which is very coy on my end because I've been hospitalized. But uh, yeah. but then also I was thinking about you and like I think the last day of like like a shitty season, like the last day of a oh, good season. Boy. Like the last, last day, day of a good sh- season is sad. Last day of a shitty season, boy, best thing to happen to you. It's like, whoa, hey, let's go get some burgers. We'll get a couple beers. Right. I'll be the guy at the pool, you know. <laughs> then, like, a month later, you're mad because every <laughs> winning time is going on and you're just at the pool, you know. It's, it's crazy. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about because you talk about it in your book. It's one of the first things you talk about. And I thought it was really interesting. You talk about how tiring it is to be an NBA player. And I yeah. That seems so apropos right now because every player in the NBA playoffs right now is dying. Like they, because they yeah. all had to do, deal with the bubble season. So we knew there would be fatigue for, during the regular season, but now it's the playoffs. And we just got word that Kawhi Leonard has an ACL injury. We're not sure which kind it is, but when you hear the word ACL, that's not good. And Chris Paul is on the COVID list now, of all things. So, like, it's these guys are just dropping like flies. And so I wanted to ask you because you, you talked about how. Um, you know, you're playing 100 games a season. You're just fucking exhausted all the time. In fact, yeah. you wrote about how, um, you know, there were times when you didn't like doing it, but like during the regular season, uh, uh, you know, you you would be standing at the during uh, for a free throw and there'd be a gentleman's agreement between guys that they wouldn't go. They'd let you or one guy would let the other guy just have the rebound because everyone's just fucking dog tired because it's yeah. really nice time. So, yeah. But then you had to, but then you were like, okay, those are, those are, those moments are spare. We have to push through. Like if we want to win a championship, we have to be, you know, we have to push through the exhaustion in that, you know, you have to go past your own, your own limits. So my question for you is in light of that, what's happening in this postseason? did you ever have a problem, especially earlier in your career when you weren't able to differentiate between pushing past your limits 
and actively putting yourself in danger of harming yourself. Yeah, that's the that's the balance, right? We um, and especially with me, I um, pushed myself um, past exhaustion and pain to the point where I had um, a partially collapsed lung and a pulmonary embolism. Right. But as an athlete, I just kept pushing through it and kept playing, which, of course, can be a detriment. Um, <clears throat> you do have to find that gray area of that fine balance between, OK, hey, I'm hurt or I'm injured or I'm putting myself at risk by lifting a thousand pounds and, you know, I'm going to hurt myself. Um, I, I'm tired and maybe I should rest because, you know, sometimes you keep going, you will get hurt. You will um, um, get injured. But um, with that said, there is a point of training your body uh, to, to function through exhaustion. And that's like one of the main things that we learned playing with the heat was that, Nobody really cares <laughs> that you're tired. No, and not fans. If you want to go, yeah. And if you want to go, if you want to win it, you have to unquestionably go after that loose ball. I'm, I'm, you know, and this was the scenario that kept coming up. I'm, I'm the most exhausted I've ever been in my life. This is every game. So if you're watching the playoffs, those guys out there are exhausted, the most exhausted they've ever been, and a loose ball is right there. <laughs> And I, I have to go get it. I've got to put my face on the ball, hit the ground. Hopefully we get it. We will get it if I have the right mentality. Then get up and keep going, you know. Um, and, then, and then hopefully you'll get from round to round. And that was kind of just, just the, the thing that I learned in saying, okay, there will be times where you have to push yourself because if you don't, your opponent will get the best of you. You know, you won't get that loose ball. You won't be able to focus and concentrate Um when, when it's the last minutes of the fourth quarter um, to try and get it in, you know? So those were the uh, principles that I was trying to bring. But just like you were saying, you have to know your body and you you get more intimate with your body as well by going through these hardships. Yeah. But you'll know the huge difference if you if you continue to push yourself. You'll know, you, you'll know when to ease up or you'll know when to push harder. Uh, one time you wrote, you said the ball gets inbounded you race up the court to start the offense, miss a shot, and race back on defense. Then the whistle blows for a foul, if you're lucky, so you can get some rest. So I wanted to ask you, right. did you ever have a favorite moment when you were dying out on the court and someone either saved you by committing a foul and just gave you a fucking break, or you yourself was like, you know what, let me just hack the shit out of Dwight Howard for a second so I can get a rest? <laughs> All the time. All the time. It was no, look, it was, look, it's no special moment. It was funny because like the referees got on the game. You used to try to untie your shoe. So you could stop and tie your shoe. They don't let you do that. They stop oh letting you do God. that. Like, yeah, like 10, 12 years ago, they were like, no, 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 we got to keep going, Chris. My shoe is untied. Nope, let's go. Let's go. You know, they don't let you do that. So that was like a trick we try to use from time to time. But, yeah, you just try to – you just try to – yeah, you, you find yourself in a situation so many times where you're just trying to get by and you'll just be tired and, yeah, I'll foul you. Beep. Hey, take it out. Oh, my God, Okay. And then, you know, usually that's the worst thing you can do in those situations because it's always a dumb foul. You know, like it's a bonus and you'll foul. And that's when you see the guys looking back like, oh, what did I do? Like, yeah, that was a dumb foul, dude. We getting rest, but they're going to get two points. Because you're not in your like <laughs> basketball brain at that point. There's like the part of your brain that's no. like, you're going to die if you run anymore. And then, yeah. Been, <laughs> Pretty much. It's sur- straight up survival mode. Way more, I guess maybe this is part of just being washed you know like i haven't like physically taxed myself like that much harder than you know like we take the stairs a lot but that's like you know not anything like this but i've been struck during the the postseason by i remember like taj gibson especially during that uh that nick series like just breathing in a way where i was like that's not good dude like you shouldn't <laughs> be doing that but you talked about uh, this the stuff that i found most interesting in the in the book uh like there's a chapter on being a teammate where you talk about picking each other up and just sort of like being trustworthy and all of that. And like so much of what you're, you were just saying about in terms of like playing through exhaustion, like getting your body to do things that like maybe it shouldn't be doing, like seems to me to be like, it's, it's a physical thing. It's a reflexive thing that you're just like, you're mm-hmm. listening to your body. And then right. so much of the rest of it, like, and I thought this was really interesting, was just in terms of like being a human at the same time as you're out of that like empathetic, you know, human friendly part of your brain. Like how, like how Mm -hmm. training your mind as an athlete, like how do you get to the point where you're like a functioning dude who knows himself, but also you're willing to dive on a loose ball with what might be your last heartbeat? (laughs) 
<laughs> doing about it, doing it every day, thinking about it every day, going over scenarios again, coach showing, uh, you know, Spo, he loved watching film. And so we're watching film and it's a loose ball, so to speak. Right. And, and you, we're as a team watching it and each one of us throughout the season has a moment where we didn't get it. And it's, you know, we got to call it out. Yeah. That's BS. If we want to win a championship, we've got to come up with that loose ball and you just keep training your mind and your body. And, and really to, to be honest with you, it was after we lost to Dallas, after we lost to Dallas, that, that humbled us. And then I know me personally, it gave me the fuel to, to say, okay, the next time this happens, I'll be ready. Or man, I was tired during that one second quarter. Okay. I need to work on my conditioning. So all summer, all throughout the season, you just keep thinking about those scenarios over and over so that when you come to them again, you won't fail. That's pretty much, I would just visualize it over and over all the time. And on top of that, you don't want to lose. It gave me motivation not to lose. So anytime I felt tired, like we were talking about earlier, I get that extra set. I stay that extra hour in the gym. I shoot an extra hundred free throws because even if I, even if I made a hundred, 90 out of a hundred. Okay, great. That's my average, at least in practice. Now I'm going to do more because I know my opponent isn't going to do this much. That was like the mind game um, that I, I would always play with myself in preparation for those moments. Were you, uh, were you tricking yourself when you thought that? Because uh, obviously the other team works very hard. Did you have to get into a mindset where, okay, if I do, if I do, if I shoot 200 free throws before I leave the gym, the other guys, they're not going to shoot that many. They'll all shoot maybe 190, but they're not going to shoot 200. Yeah, that was kind of, yeah, you, 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 you play tricks on your mind, you know, and then after that, I'm getting in, an, in that ice bath. Yeah. That was another thing that I used. I just, I hate it. And, you know, we, we're living in Miami. I'm, I'm, I, can be, I can be having pool, I can have a poolside lunch in 30 minutes. You know, Ooh. and just hang out and, but no, let me, let me get in this cold tub because I don't want to do it. It's going to take care of my legs. It's going to freshen me up a little bit. And just the mental aspect, just always continually finding those things that you assume that um, your uh, counterparts or your opponents aren't doing just to give you that extra edge. You don't know what they're doing, but um, I always try to continue to go because, you know, you get to that point where it's like, okay, I know they're giving up. I know they're stopping working right now. And this is where I'm going to be able to catch them slipping right here. Um, you talked about the pain of losing the, the, the series to the Mavericks, that first one. And I want to ask, obvious, obviously there was the pain of simply losing it just in a vacuum because you're competitive and you want to win right. the NBA title. Was that pain also exacerbated by the mass schadenfreude that haters had for that team. And I'll go ahead and admit right now that I was rooting against the Heat. And I have yeah. I have I have since uh had a mea culpa about that. But I but <laughs> to me there was, you know, it was because of the decision and, and, and all that and all that stuff that there was a palpable uh public backlash toward that team. And so there was a lot of joy from haters about the Mavericks winning. Did that also weigh on you as you were recovering that offseason from that loss? Yeah, um, it was Wayne. But then, you know, once we lost, I was like, damn, I was listening to that and worrying about that stuff. And then after we lost, we lost anyway. So <laughs> I would have been better not listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? And not let it affect me. And that was my eureka moment. It was some tough times afterwards. Of course, you have to, you know, you're ashamed, um, embarrassed. Um, it, it, it really sucks when everybody sees you fall from the mountaintop. Um, and especially in the fashion that the narrative was at that time, right? It was just, and, and granted, I've been there too. It's a part of sports. People want to see you lose. That's just a part of it. Yeah. But one thing I learned, I learned to accept that and say, okay, this is where I am. This is where we are. And yeah, this is what Jordan went through. This is what Kobe went through. You know, Kareem went through, Magic went through. So who am I to to just sit up here and just feel sorry for myself? I'm going to get back up. Um, and, and I understood how those situations can destroy a career. 
you know, people don't come back from that. You see, and when, and a lot of people make fun of it, which is totally wrong, but like, man, think, you think about it. A lot of people get to that championship game, miss that free throw, miss that layup, and you'll never see them again because they Nick just Anderson, can't take themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's like you can't themselves putting themselves out there. Yeah, it's just like, man, I can't do it anymore because – I believed, I worked, and everything, I put it all, and I got beat. And not only did I get beat, I didn't rise to the occasion when it was time. That's a very tough thing to come back from. And, you know, I, 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 we all had to learn that losing is a part of the game, but you have to accept that. And if you put enough into it, you can be uh, successful. It's interesting because I think, I mean, obviously there was, like, you know, Drew talking about the sort of backlash against it. It's I wouldn't say that it's become normal, but it's been – you know, a decade since you all got together in Miami. And I think at this point, you know, there's like, it's not that people are used to super teams, but I think that there's a less sort of violent response to it. I mean, people were really, I yeah. mean, people, the media and some fans were very upset at you all choosing to play together in a specific place, like with your friends. Mm-hmm. What about that? Do you think that the conversation or just the broader understanding of that has changed? And like, how do you do? feel I guess like while you were changing it to be like somebody that had you know like beloved in Toronto like an all-NBA dude and then suddenly you're like a villain by just for sheer narrative convenience like did it hurt like what was that about oh yeah it hurt it hurt um I was alluding to Kareem Magic Kobe um and Jordan how many rings is that you know what I mean? So I can't count. these yeah, were my, yeah, these were, yeah, these were, these were our heroes. And even before then, you know, watching Clutch City and the Dream Team, I had cousins in Houston, um, you know, I, and I was in Houston every summer during that back-to-back championship, those back-to-back championships uh, in 94, 95, you know, so that's what it was about. It was about winning. It was about um, winning championships. It was about that, that glory uh, on the big stage. That's what it was about. And I got, you know, advice from, some of the greatest players of all time. And, you know, at the time, yeah, sure, people weren't used to it. And I understand how um, that could have mixed things up a little bit. And it had never really been done like that before. But, you know, we wanted to take matters into our own hands. Of course, teams have their own narrative. And, and that is what people were used to. They weren't used to athletes um, putting uh, their future in their own hands. And that's something that everybody had to get used to. But, um, I guess we were the pioneers for that. We had to make a pave the way in some kind of way. Don't get me wrong. It sucked, but um, <laughs> I'm still glad we were able uh, to persevere through all that stuff. And, and at the end of the day, accomplish our goal, which was to win championships while we were there. Uh yeah, the, the other thing is that people still bitch about it. Like, you know, like like James Harden forced his way <laughs> to the Nets. And people are like, oh, James Harden, he, he shouldn't have that much power. He shouldn't be able to. He shouldn't be able to go to a titty bar and then and then force his way over the nets. That's just not ethical. <laughs> like meanwhile, like <laughs> I so, mean, well, you I mean, you know, I, I would argue, okay, so you go to the titty bar and then go to your job. You know what I mean? Like yeah! is you know, it's just kind of, you know, is it gets mixed in and that's the the pedestal that we're on as athletes. Um and yeah, granted, this is a new day and age. Um I think we're seeing that at all across all sports. You see it with Aaron Rodgers, you've seen it with Kyrie. You've seen it with James Harden. Um, you've seen it with multiple football players now. Like guys are are getting hip to the thing because we've watched our heroes give their life to certain organizations, and you know all they have is high medical bills for those surgeries after. So you always want to make sure you're competing and having fun. Playing. Well, you know I don't want to. You're not always going to have fun. you're not you you know you want to be successful and that's when you can you know you want to love what you're doing even on the days that aren't fun when you're grinding it and working hard you want to enjoy what you're doing and know that the team around you is into doing the same thing speaking of not fun you wrote uh, to be honest i've always hated running and i wanted to ask what about now (laughs) do you still hate running i I, actually are you are you is it okay for you to run uh, given uh, the the blood clots that uh, factored into your retirement, yeah, no, I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life. To be honest, hey, with you. Um, that's great. Yeah, no joint pain. 
I actually feel my age. You know, I feel much, <laughs> much better than I did at 31. At 37, I feel way better than I did at 30. No, no inflammation, no knees, no ankles, you know, um, no complaints. You know could could you unretire yeah, if you wanted to? Could, could you unretire uh, if no. you wanted to? No, no, no. I mean, Fine. even if I didn't have look, cause I've been out the game too long. I don't even, I don't even play. You know what I mean? I just, Not I shoot fun. around with my kids. Mm-mm. I shoot around with my kids from time to time and like mess around with them. Maybe I'll shoot like 10 free throws every other month. But yeah, I very rarely pick up a basketball. Do you let your kids win or like, do they go for a shot and you're like, get that the fuck out of my face? <laughs> no, nah, I let him shoot it. You okay. know what? I, I was like, I was kind of, I was getting to that point with my kids where I was like, oh, make sure your elbow's in. Put the, and then, okay, flick the wrist. And then I said, man, and then they didn't, they stopped listening to me. They did just, and I was like, wow, this is the purest form of the game right here. Just getting the ball up to the hoop. What, you know, remember that? And so I just let them have their fun. And, and you know, there'll be, plenty of times to get technical about the game, but like just to watch him be happy, like my five-year-old just shoot it up there and it goes in. He's like, yeah, you know, that's the, that those are the moments that are, 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 are the true beginning of the game. Yeah. So, I have that. I have those moments with my kids too. Like, well, they won't, they'll hate some writing assignment. And I'm like, well, you know, if you write like this and like that, and they don't listen to anything, they're like, fuck off old man. And I'm like, you know, I write books. I'm like, I write books for a living. I get paid to do it. They don't give a shit. So I'd be like, you know, I'd be like, you in their like, own world, man. Yeah, like teaching your, your kid like a free throw shot. And they're like, I don't care what you think. I'm doing it my way. You're like, I'm yeah, a three-time like, NBA champion. <laughs> and they, they let me down easy, right? They're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, move, Dad. Hold on, move. Oh, that's cute, Dad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> get it up here, you know. <laughs> Five-year-olds are different, too, because it's to get the ball to the hoop, it's like a full-body exercise. Like, that starts in the ankles, and then you're just, like, basically, like, thrusting your whole body up into the air and, oh, like, yeah. letting go of the ball at some point. Like, there's no foot. It's the opposite of form. Like, it's like a Yeah, snap. there's no. Yeah. Just get up. Just get it up there, man, son. Put your toenails into it. Yeah, get all the energy you can, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you also wrote, uh, I was on Kim Garnett most of the nights during the regular season, a guy who loves to get himself fired up by talking trash. And for some reason, I let him suck me into it. So now I have to ask, you're not going to tell us anyway, but what did Garnett say to you uh, that got under your skin so much <laughs> that, you, that you couldn't do your job? He called me a mama's boy. Oh! <laughs> Oh, did I he? Mean, and so he just like did he do his research on that and like know that you're close with your mom or did he just like pick something that he thought would cut? Well, at the time he met my. Well, it was it was actually a very good play. I was like, you know, in my older age, I was like, hey, bravo, it's a good, that's a good, best piece of trash talk to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, because I couldn't sleep for weeks, but. <laughs> You know, not only did he dominate me in the fourth quarter, and that was the first time, you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm the shit, I'm hot shit. You know, I'm like perennial all-star in Toronto. I got my dress down my, down my neck, you know, <laughs> and he dominated me. He dominated me, and I, and I had never felt like that, like, wow, I can't do anything with him. I couldn't guard him. They picked me out and singled me out. He met my family two years before that at, at the <laughs> all-star game. In Las Vegas. So, and you know, I'm like 21, 22. I was like 22, 20, yeah, 22, 23. And he was nice. It was cool. He met my aunts and, you know, everybody. And then, yeah, he hit me with that line. And oh, man, I was, uh, that got me good. This is terrible. The idea that he that just like being all pleasant and, you know, whatever, like the nice version of Kevin Garnett, but somewhere <laughs> in his head, he's filing it away. He's like, yeah, this guy loves his aunt. Oh, yeah. I'm remind he's like, him let me, that. yeah, <laughs> let me put that back just in case. And of course, two years later, we get into, I don't want to say a verbal altercation, but very close to it. And we're sitting here talking back and forth. He looked at me, man, what? Man, man see, but you a mama's boy. Get out of here, man. I was like, whoa. Oh, man. <laughs> Everything disappeared. <laughs> I couldn't play. He got the best of me, man. And then I let KG an uncut gem, and he never returned it. <laughs> Yo, you want to know something funny about uncut gem? Um, I saw Adam Sandler. True story. I saw Adam Sandler in Italy, and he gave me the script uh, for uncut gems. They were still looking oh, wow. around. He hadn't told me that um, Kevin was going to be in it, which, of course, he fit the story better, but he was looking – uh, for a ball player to fit that role. And 
um, I actually had the script for Uncut Gems. It's just, you know, I, I, I don't think I read anything for it, but they were considering it for a short moment. But then, you know, of course, they got Kevin and it made, you know, it filled in better for the story. But it was a little funny, little sidebar. Did you, did you read the script? Yeah, I read it. Did you like it? They, they only gave me like a couple, a few pages. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, like a Star hey, Wars read, script see? where it's like redacted. Yeah, like you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like three pages. Like, okay, here would be your lines. This is the character that you would possibly read for. But then, you know, they let us know that they had Kevin later. And But yeah, Adam, Adam Sandler's a cool guy. Chris, uh, do you want to join us for a game of dead or canceled? You're okay. not going to get in trouble, I promise. Everyone, everyone hesitates before they say yes. They're like, it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, like their brain <laughs> says no, but their mouth says yes. And they're like, oh, I really regret that. All right. I'm going to give you a famous person. You have to tell me whether or not they're dead or they're canceled. If they're both, dead wins out. Does that make sense? Okay. That all makes right. sense. Uh, you're dead or canceled. Is this person dead or canceled? Legendary broadcaster Howard Cosell, is he dead or canceled? Oh, Howard Cosell. Man, that's a blast from the past. I'm I'm gonna say, man, I never want I'm not sure if he's passed, but I don't want to say dead, so I'll say canceled. He is dead. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's uh, dead. Okay. Howard Cosell died a long time. He was also canceled, but he was also but he was mostly dead. Yeah, I was about to say Howard, I know I know the name, but I can't I was like, man, I know I can hear the voice, but I don't know. But okay, damn. Rest he, in peace. I could do a terrible Cosell impression, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, I know him mostly from like the the Muppet that talked like him. That was like the version of Howard Cosell that I had like most vi- like vividly in my head when I was a kid. Like, because I don't think he was doing like Monday Night Football games when I was a kid, and then like when I was really little, and then I think he passed in like 1990 or something, right? Like he was. Yeah, oh, wow. I, it, it was it was a while ago. Been a so. while. Yeah, been a while. Okay, there you go. I'm way off. Chris, it was lovely to have you on. Thank you for coming on. Thanks, man. Thanks for having us, man. Really appreciate it. Chris Bosch, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a quick break. Okay, we're back. So we got to do Dead or Canceled with Chris Bosch. We did not get to open up the fun bag, which is a really Roth. He would have been. He would have had so much fun. I know. I, think. I mean, who wouldn't want to spend time sloshing around in the uh, detritus of our our listeners and readers? I think yeah. he actually would have done great. Like this is the the part of it that you know. Obviously, it's a total bucket list thing to get to ask Chris Bosch whether Howard Cosell is dead or not. Yeah, yeah. But I think like he would have. I mean, just he seems like a really good dude. I think he would have done great with the questions where people are like, "Is it bad that my toilet is too big and I'm <laughs> always pooping in it?" Like, I think he would. I think he would have crushed it on that. <laughs> I didn't get the chance to ask him about because uh, he quotes Bruce Springsteen in the book, and I wanted to ask if. Uh, if he put that in there or if an editor or ghostwriter forced that in there against his will. But I think I it's like actually a law that if you're going to write a book about sports, there has to, at the very least, like there's um, whatever. It's like some, like Frank Lautenberg passed it through the Senate in the late 90s. That like you have to have like a born to run quote at the beginning of it. Absolutely. Uh, hey, we, we can get to Guy of the Week uh, with Chris Bosch, but you get it, Roth. Oh, uh, in, in, in the honor of Chris Bosch, the Guy of the Week was Grant Long. I liked who, Grant Long. Yeah, Grant Long is a good player. There's a great, uh, this is is McQuaid talking, uh, but I will do it uh, in his honor, that there's a story where Dave Barry writes about, because the McQuaid part is that McQuaid reveres Dave Barry above anyone else and beyond all reason. That's fair. I mean, I loved him when I was younger. I I don't know if this stuff's still funny, but I I do remember that he had a story about, like, how good NBA players are at basketball, and it's centered around him, like, interviewing Grant Long before a Heat game, and Long is just, like, idly playing keep away from him like with his dribble and Grant Long was like of all the like 90s power forwards he was like the most 90s power forward out of any of them just like a totally rectangular guy who like dunked and got rebounds and Dave Barry was like he's the best ball handler I've ever seen like he's 6'11 I couldn't come anywhere near getting it yeah it does kind of like let you know like ditto like Bosch mentioning in passing where he's like yeah I shoot 90% from the free throw line like in practice like, yeah, of course. Yeah, like they're very different than normal people. Like, yeah. <laughs> any guy who looks clumsy on an NBA court would just obliterate you. Yeah. Just destroy you. Like, fu- like clone yourself 10 times. It would beat the sh- unholy shit out of you on yeah. the court. I mean, it's like, it's gratifying in some ways. I always feel like the Scalabrini stuff has got like a weird edge to it. Like, but that is like, I mean, whatever. He's like the, the living 
like personification of it of like people in like LA fitnesses every day challenge him to one on one. Uh let's open up the fun bag. We didn't get to subject uh Chris Bosch did any of this, which is a real shame because JJ writes in, if you truly dislike someone, is it better to refer to them as a piece of shit or just a shit? I feel like little shit is used for bad kids, but I think if someone just called me a shit instead of a piece of shit, it would cut deeper. What do you think, Roth? I mean, I guess, I think I think piece of shit is worse because it's more specific. Like, you know exactly what they're talking about. I think, like, a shit to me has kind of like a, like a faintly British and therefore like kind of dressed up element to it. It's very British. It's very British. Like to call Boris Johnson a shit is not wrong, but to call him a piece of shit is more accurate and I think more damning. Right, but it's the more, it's the more, it's the American connotation of piece of shit. It's like asshole. Like it's a very specific definition. Yeah. Right. Sort of a worthless person. Whereas in England, you call, he's a bit of shit, isn't he? Like he's, so, he's like a bit of a jerk, a bit obnoxious. This like butty sort of, is a bit shit. Yeah, unwelcome in my... Well, that's that's a whole other thing. Shit as an adjective, where it's like, actually, the Beatles, they were shit. Like, <laughs> just, like, there's a, there's that, too. That's very, very strong. My they snack barm with pee wet. Yeah, like, here in America, you have to, like, you have to have a suffix on it. You have to say, oh, well, it's dog shit, or it's bullshit, or it's horseshit. But in England, they don't have to worry about any of that. They just say, it's shit. Yeah. What's a shit? Horseshit to me is a is a really good one of these because it's like I think of it exclusively as like a thing that has to do with baseball. That like that like it's a thing that managers say to refer to like bad baseball behaviors. I would never refer to something as horseshit in my actual life unless it was like somebody with an elbow pad leaning out over home plate and stealing a cheap hit by pitch. We like, uh, I myself have never done a horseshit thing because I didn't play baseball long enough. I uh, I got a lot in football when I was a player. Ah. Our coach, if we fucked up, it was always uh, it was always tell you what that was a horseshit effort, son. Just oh, just a horseshit effort. Or, and if he was screaming, you'd be like, that's a horseshit effort. It was it was always a horseshit effort if we put in a horseshit. When effort. When you'd be like, that's cool. That's a constructive criticism. There's stuff I can use in that. Bits of glass. Yeah. Even if we were tired, you know. Even if it was game seven, you know, like. <laughs> and the fans weren't appreciating us. Can I just say, say that you did a great job not uh, bringing that into the conversation with literally Chris Bosch? Like, you weren't like, I remember one time we were playing Hamilton and it was <laughs> no. raining. Like, you did a good job keeping it in perspective. Well, someone last week uh, in the comments section yelled at me for cutting off Mike Schur too many times. So I, did, I wanted to be cognizant and not drew up the podcast too much. And yet I'm almost certain I spoke Way too much. As I am right now. I can't stop talking. I, I think it's great. I'm, what if there's another talk. question? Listen to me talking. I'm just talking. It's I, just talk. Oh, the and talk. I and, personally love it. But and this part of it's getting old when I just keep, keep on talking and I don't. Disagree. I think you have to stick with it till it gets funny again. <laughs> Andy writes in, you can have unlimited wealth. And this question would have been N.A. for Chris Bosh. You can, <laughs> the only catch of your unlimited wealth is you can never, ever, ever wash your hands or have anyone else wa- wash them. Permanently and increasingly dirty hands until you die. Do you take the deal, Roth? Wow. Uh, can you wear gloves? Is there a claw? Probably. I you can probably wear gloves. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I feel, gonna. I'll say yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it would suck to have to like if you're you know getting if you fly across the country to get the burger that you want with your unlimited wealth, it would be weird to put on gloves before eating a burger. Like I feel like that would like that's that's you're like basically performing surgery on the sandwich at that point, and yet I feel like that's better than like. You know, the risk of, like, your hands just turning into fucking cast iron pans because of all the grease on them is obviously not what you want. Yeah. Like, you could you could just wear white silk gloves like a fucking magician. Yep. <laughs> Slowly you'd remove have, it yeah. finger by finger. And you'd have unlimited wealth, so you could just have them spare, like a drawer. Just like, well, these have tomato sauce on it, so so yeah, long if you're like, rich, like, think about all the shit that fucking Elon gets away with. Like, he just does some, like, he swipes someone's meme, and then it gets retweeted 10,000 times. If you were rich enough, other people would start wearing those opera gloves, too. They'd be like, oh, yeah, like the ones that the... The guy that flies across the country to get a burger wears. Like, I do that, too, because it, it helps me uh, get in the right success mindset. My daughter, she's 15, and she uh, she totally roasted the nine-year-old uh, by calling him a sticky iPad kid and still does it. Because <laughs> like, he'll be on an iPad with dirty-ass hands, and you see the screen of the iPad, and it has, like, fucking, like, day-old, like, 
granola stains on it. Yeah. Or whatever, and she's like, sticky eye pack. He's like, I'm not a sticky eye pack kid. I know how to get putting off my hands. And I I'm looking. choose not to. And I'm looking at the iPad, and it's got, like, spider tack on it, and I could like, yes. press my palm into it and, like, hold it up in the air without it. You are, like, like I hope that we can keep doing this podcast long enough for you to completely leave the time as a parent where everything in your house is a little bit sticky. I feel like you can probably see it from here. Yeah, it's actually, we're, I mean, we're kind of there already. They're fairly, because my wife is German, so she's fastidious. Ah. And that's more or less rubbed off on the kids. Like, sometimes they're, like, a little too clean. I'm like... I'm like, you know, boy, your your room can be a shithole. That's all right. It's, you're yeah. allowed to dig in the dirt. You need to clean your fingernails right after that. <laughs> That's funny because I, I have a question from Michael just about that. I'm oh. gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna. It's an amusing question. It's more for Chris Bosch. At what age with, will mealtime with my children not require a high pressure hose, harsh surfactants, and a change of clothing? We're at 21 months now, and things seem to be moving in the wrong direction from here. From a cleanliness and stable table manner standpoint, the dogs certainly appreciate her enthusiasm, and it's adorable to some degree, but it's also a bit concerning. Okay, time to pick polenta out of her hair. Yeah, that <laughs> that does go away as you get toward. The end of, of, I would say, elementary school. So, But I think you do get all the way through the single digits. I got uh, put on blast by my niece once when she had she was eating yogurt, uh, not wisely, but too well, like really getting after it. And she had some yogurt around her mouth. And I said, you got some yogurt on your face? And she said, of course I have yogurt on my face. <laughs> and she was like six or seven or six at the time. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Like, actually, like, it's fucked up of me to expect you to not have yogurt on your face. Like, you've got, like, four more years of being this way. Yeah, yogurt is just, you're just asking for it with yogurt. Yep. And rice, forget it. You give a kid rice, there's rice everywhere. It's like so it's the, like someone dumped a beach into your house. Like I'm you curious just, about the, the fastidiousness. Like, to that, has it worked out such that, like, you don't have, like, little bits of cereal in your car and stuff like that? Like, you really, like... Oh, no, 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 we have those. those oh, all right, all. good. I was like... That's all, that's all SOP. I don't even, I don't even blink. Like, if I pick up, well, we don't have booster seats anymore. I'll tell you what, my, uh, my dog destroyed the recliner the other day. Like, Carter, he, he scratched please. at it. Yeah, Carter was like, scratch, 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 which he'd never done to the recliner. Just all the other shit. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I had to switch out the cushion with the other identical recliner does. I have two recliners because I'm yeah. a fancy guy. And so I picked I up. Say, you're being very sanguine about this. Like, I know that chair means a lot to you. It's yeah. good that so you have I, a backup. So I pick up the cushion, and there's just shit. Just, it's just like a, you can't even see the fabric underneath the cushion because there's just like, there's, uh, there's debris. Like, you know, there's like, there's, there's a shitload of popcorn. And I'm the only one who sits in the chair, and I don't even eat popcorn. So, like, they were on the <laughs> sly. These kids were, like, sitting in my chair and grubbing on some, like, club crackers and shit like that. So, But I didn't even blink. I was like, oh, I, was, I said to my son, I said, get the dust buster and clean this shit up. And then he did it. So, so the second recliner, is this explicitly, like, a backup recliner? Or is it just in a different part of the house? And, like, if you're, if you're really feeling the leisure, you don't want uh, to go, go too far. It's in front of the TV downstairs. Because when we bought the original recliner... I was like, this is the best recliner I ever sat in. And then we got another TV downstairs, and I was like, well, I like this recliner so much. Why don't I buy two of them? And I, I now have two, not one, but two recliners. Yeah, when you got but, two recliners, you got none. But I made a deal with Satan, and I can never wash my hands now. <laughs> uh, Adam writes in, I'm a, thir- I'm a married 35-year-old guy. I hate social media. The only one I have is Twitter because, unfortunately, it's the best one-stop shop for news gathering for my favorite writers and new sports info and new stuff. To curb this cognitive distance between hating something but still using it, I have a couple people I follow I know are guaranteed to tweet something so lame or internet-y within like any one hour that I know it will make me log off immediately. And there are people who cover things that I like. I guess this isn't a question, just a healthy suggestion for everybody. So Adam deliberately follows a couple of people he hates so they remind him to log off every few I hours. Is this like a it. good? Is this a good idea? Like poison pilling your own <laughs> feed by just. It, like, I think that if you know that it works, like I know that for me, like that's the thing that has gotten me. You know, much more than like deadlines ever have. Like with Twitter, like I can just sort of be there, feeling slightly worse for you know most of a day if I allow myself to do it. But there is that like that element of like not even just cringy but like specific to twitter cringy where you're just like you read something and you're like 
I got to do better with my life than this. Like the idea of just like people in a weird argument with like, just like absolutely people that live in the computer and share like 99.9% of the same politics, but just like getting in some sort of like petty shit about people that I don't even understand and really getting after it. That's the thing that makes me go away is just being like, am I like this now because I'm reading it? Like, am I more like this for having read it? Yeah, there are those days where like the proverbial main character of Twitter is someone I never heard of. And I'm like, do I really need to learn about this? And like 99% of the time, I don't. So like yeah. I have some some relative Twitter discipline on that, but I have never followed somebody like deliberately to like or 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 I follow people who annoy me at times, but I don't I don't have the good sense to log off. The ones that are really like poisonous, this is what I found lately is that like it's easy to unfollow or block or mute somebody. It is very hard to remove a sufficiently prominent, annoying person from your Twitter experience entirely. That, like, yeah, like I, I muted the word McConnell, mm-hmm. but I still, I still managed to get like Senate information that makes me want to punch through a goddamn. Yeah, wall. I mean, it's just like they're ubiquitous, and like that part of it especially sucks because like. I don't know. Like, the experience of going on there, for me, has always been just, like, stepping in front of a fire hose. Like, that's the way I've designed it to be. Is like, you know, you just um, get your sternum caved in within the first 90 seconds, and then you're just sort of hanging out, uh, watching them break it down after that. Yeah, I like, think, I... Oh, go sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I mean, there, the people, there are people I follow who I like who sometimes irritate me. Like, you know, like Feinberg, and like, like I said, I sometimes get mad at Spencer, but generally, I, I like following these people. There's never, there was never a day where I was like, you know what? I should follow like fucking Big Cat. Yeah, just Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. Like, I wonder or, yeah. what Hercules has to say about critical race theory. Yeah, let I'm me follow fine James not Woods. Knowing that shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let me follow James Woods. So James Woods blocked die. me, uh, which was, you know. Oh. Yeah, I've been, like a bunch of character actors that I like have blocked me, uh, which is, I mean, the reactionary ones, but they're, you know, they're out there. Feinberg, I will say, is the unique follow because she is always, it's like having a dog that brings you like a dead bird it found, but like she always does it. She finds incredible dead birds, like really just hideous uh, Only specimens. the best. And so you know what you're, you're signing up for there. Absolutely. Uh, Jeff writes in, if you traveled 10 to 15 years in the future and played Let's Remember a Guy, who out of today's current players... Might we have forgotten making them good candidates to remember? Personally, I think Fred Van Vliet, Gardner Minshew, and Peyton Pritchard are all good candidates. Do you have any good future guys think in Van mind? V- Van Vliet's a little bit too good for me. He's very, like for that, he's pretty. He's pretty good. You know, he was like a really good player on a championship team. That's usually it. Although you never quite can tell who you're going to forget. Like I've had like this was a. Well, there's no way to say this without it sounding like a cool guy bragging, but I was going through the album of baseball cards that I wrote when I was at Tops the other day because I was on, I was on Chris Crawford's podcast and we were talking about baseball cards. And I realized that I, have, I wrote cards for guys that I have fully forgotten. Craig Monroe, who was on the Tigers, and that is like 15 years ago. And he wasn't, there's a reason I should remember Craig Monroe, except for like, I usually remember that. I think that the, the guy remembering age is like when you're a kid. And so the, like whatever yes. sticks now is like sort of random. I would probably remember Minshew because he was so swaggy and so weird. Yeah, but he's not going to be good enough to right. qualify for anything above, above guy stats. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, which is that I was watching the NBA playoffs and like suddenly Pat Connaughton is, uh, yeah. is like, it's like, it's like an actual person in the NBA playoffs, like of, of import. And I'm like, Pat Connaughton's in the NBA? Like, holy shit. Like, yeah. I remember that guy. So you remembered, so, like, Notre Dame Pat Connaughton? That, that's the guy I remember. He's been in the league for, like, eight years. But I not, didn't know he was still not, in the it's league. It's not an unreasonable response, like, to see Pat Connaughton. <laughs> like, I think, like, even your most seasoned scout would watch him and just be like, huh. Yeah, I was just, I was blown away. Is. I also think a lot of the, uh, a lot of the spider tech guys will end up being guys I remember like, is Tyler Glasnow, like, a really good pitcher? Like, he's, he's fantastic. Gonna, he's really good. He's going to okay. win a Cy Young and stuff. All right, all right, all right, all right. So not him. But, like, somebody caught up in this bullshit. Not Trevor Bauer, because he's good, too. Yeah, although... it's going to be the guys that get caught now. Like, the ones where you go back a little yeah. while. Like, again, Joe Necro. But uh, Michael Pineda was especially the one where, like, because he's had a, a really good career, but he got busted for having pine tar on his neck, and it was, like, 
clearly a very disgusting experience for all involved. Like the video of like the umpire checking it, he's like, oh God, like what? I mean, first of all, you're going out there to touch a dude's neck for work. Like yeah. it's a little weird in the first place. But then, yeah, like clearly like that is, uh, that might be Michael Pineda's legacy there. Yeah, because I remember the photo and you're like, okay, well, is that foreign substance or is it just really bad pus? Like, I yeah. don't know. Well, that's, I'm sort of hoping that that is like the, what spider Tack brings us is the, like a real full on return of wet guys. Because if you can't have any foreign substance of any kind, like if you can't even do the <laughs> thing where you have like sunblock and rosin anymore, which I think is like, those are two normal baseball substances that you would be wearing. Like, of course they found a way to use them to cheat because it's baseball. But like, if you can't even do that, then, like, the next step is for everyone to go out there looking like clay book holes. Because you need <laughs> moisture some way or another. So, like, looking like you just got pushed off a shrimp boat is, like, maybe your best option at this point. Also, you have to wear sunblock if you're yeah. if you're playing a day game. You're going to get burned to a fucking crisp. Yeah, it's all, it's, like, incredible for the way that MLB handles all of this stuff. It's, like, they let some big problem happen. Then they try to crack down on it by just, like coming up with every rule that you can come up with, like whether they're good or not, whether like you can't wear sunblock. Uh, also like you gotta, um, like you can't have a mustache now. That's stupid. And but it seems like a, a complete waste of effort after having like sat out the first 90% of the problem. Can I ask you a question? You will not know the answer to Roth. Yes. How come soccer players don't wear eye black? I don't like, think sh- eye black does anything. Does it? Oh, is it just bullshit? Is it just yeah. make you look cool? Is yeah, that- I always thought it was mostly to make you look cool. Like, if you could, I think it would be good if uh, one soccer player did the, like, Chris Hovan thing and, like, got put the eye black on his face so he looked like Sting. Yes. Yeah. The wrestler, not the yogi. I remember when I was playing football that uh, that they handed out eye black to the starters, and I was not a starter, so I wasn't cool enough to get that. Oh, man. I was like, <laughs> Do you, like, oh, have I to remember- ask a guy to, like, like, do you mind if I have some of that... Grease paint to apply? <laughs> no, because it would have been a poser. Because I would have been sitting on the sideline with eye. Like it was bad enough. I was wearing a uniform. Stolen valor. <laughs> That's tough. The other thing. Yeah, this is. We're. I mean, whatever. We're, we don't have Chris Bosh anymore on anymore, yeah. so I can be as on tangential as I want to be. But <laughs> I. Uh, I uh, yeah. I I I I said to. Uh, I think to, to the to the staff. I was like. I'm not cocky enough about the fact that I played football for 10 years. Like every time I say I played football, it's like I was a bench warmer. I was really bad at it, stuff like that. But listen, if you line me up against your kid, I'm going to own the shit out of your kid. It's like <laughs> I have the technique down. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick their ass. So like I, I think I, I should have a bit more self-respect for the fact that I was a bench warmer in college football because not everyone's good enough to walk onto a team and get hazed and uh, and be a football player who gets yelled at by a coach for horseshit. Yeah, I think that's something. If you're ever doubting yourself, you should think I could pancake any child. But am I? That's why. That's my grand plan for book marketing in October because my book comes out the same day as Jonathan Franzen, and I'm going <laughs> to challenge Jonathan Franzen to an Oklahoma drill. And you know what? <laughs> absolutely no lie. I would beat the shit out of Jonathan. Also, Franzen. absolutely no lie. I would pay pay per view for it. You could send me a code, but I would send in my twenty five bucks because that's how much I want to see that happen. All right. Well, then the offers out there, Jonathan Franzen. You are invited to let me ruin your shit. I'm calling you out, Jonathan. Uh, this is from Kevin. I typically listen to the podcast during commutes, so this wouldn't be safe for me. But I was wondering if there was a distraction drinking game for listeners. What rules would you implement for peak entertainment? <laughs> I've come up with a handful below, but I wonder what I've missed. One, Drew looks up to remember a guy's stats on the podcast. <laughs> Two, a guest hesitates in confusion before answering a question, i.e. asking about dead or canceled. That just happened. Yes, wow. Uh, three, Roth makes a ham joke or refers happened. to a person also as what well. Both of those things happened. <laughs> Four, Roth uses his making fun of himself voice. I think you probably did that. What I don't that's I don't do that. Five, Drew <laughs> tells a story, but prefaces it with, I think I've told this before, or some variant of that. Excuse me, Kevin, but I write that all the time. I don't say it all the time. All right. Uh six, if it's a mashup week, God helps us all, God help us all drink while Drew sings. <laughs> uh seven bad or weird food takes. Well, Megan Greenwell's not on the podcast this week, so we can't do that. And then eight is Drew and Roth make a joke about aging. Like half today's podcast was oh, about yeah. aging, and we subjected an NBA player to it. So, but I think also, well, here's my my justification. For obviously, all of that is true. Uh, yes, and it's all true. Every podcast is complete, and it's at this point, basically generated by AI. Drew and I just do some vocal work, and then Brandon basically uh, punches it in, and the computer spits the podcast out. Yes, this is uh, this is true, and uh, that's how Call Me Rothy was born. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but that's, uh, that's a really terrifying thought. Let's move on very quickly. But I think that there is like um, an element of it where this is just we're talking. You know what I mean? Like, I think that, like, when the podcast is good or bad, it's, like, two people who are friends uh, talking shit about stuff. And so the fact that we're constantly apologizing for repeating ourselves and or being annoying is, like, I'd like to think that it takes the viewers closer to what it would be like to actually have a conversation with us because that is more or less what it's like. <laughs> what what an exciting moment for them. Yeah, welcome to taking you inside the game, the insights that you can only get. By the way, Roth, you weren't supposed to defend us. You were supposed to think of more rules. So, well, like, all right, hey, um, like anytime you do like a bad Trump impression, or no, I do a bad Trump impression, I do a good. It's terrific. Everybody loves it. Many are saying uh, yeah. that it's the thing that I get dinged on the most is North Jersey pronunciations, and I'm really I appreciate this guy leaving that out. That my uh, my regionalisms have been very polarizing. Some people have even uh, pointed out that I don't always say the name of fast casual dineries. In the in the standard way, well, that's just those are my beliefs, and that's how I was raised. My A's and E's are all wrong, and uh, I encourage people to respect that. That's how I would put that one in there. Me duffing you, something, and I think I already also, did it with uh, Clay Buckles. Like I said, his name weird. You could also you could drink anytime. Like I interrupt somebody because I'm trying to move the show forward, but I fail because they won't stop talking. So then I I stop. Just to like be, you know, just to be polite and stuff like that. But I'm still searching for an opening. We could do like a drinking. Like yeah, that. definitely. Like any of the like. Brandon Nix is a producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of the Distraction <laughs> only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, you get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to StitcherPremium.com and use the promo code Distract. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And don't forget to subscribe to Defector while you're at it. And also. Chris Bosch's book, Letters to a Young Athlete, it's available right now wherever books are sold. And uh, and I read it, and I asked him questions about it, and so did Roth, and that was fun, yeah, wasn't it, Roth? Good. Yeah, no. I enjoyed it. I didn't get to ask him about the teammate question. He just goes on like a remembering some guy's speed run at the very end of the book, where he's like, Derek Martin taught me a lot. Michael Curry yes. also taught me to work. Loved it. Yeah, I love there are there are some really good guys remembering that book. We'll see you next week, Roth. Bye, Roth. Bye. Bye.